I want to start by noting that at graduation, when people are looking for gifts, um, books are often a popular, popular choice. One book in particular, ironically, somebody could be graduating from kindergarten or graduate school, and the same book is likely to be given. I will read a little bit of it. See if you can guess the author. Congratulations, today is your day. You're off to great places. You're off and away. You have brains in your head. You have feet in your shoes. You can steer yourself any direction you choose. Oh, the places you'll go. You'll be on the way up. You'll be seeing great sights. You'll join the high flyers who soar to high heights, except when you don't, because sometimes you won't. All alone, whether you like it or not, alone is something you'll be quite a lot. But when things start to happen, don't worry. Don't stew. Just go right along. You'll be happening too. Kid, you'll move mountains. Today is your day. Your mountain is waiting. So get on your way. Anybody know the author? It's Dr. Seuss. A little embarrassing, but I have to tell you, I kind of like Dr. Seuss. The only problem is when I read Dr. Seuss, I start to talk like Dr. Seuss. But I thought of this book because at Crossing, you've been thinking about the fruit of the Spirit. And this weekend, particularly faithfulness, to be faithful, to be full of faith, to be true to your word, to be able to be counted on, to be one whose spirit and character can be trusted, to be faithful, to give thanks to our great God. As you may know, the poster boy of faith in the Bible is the man Abraham. And Paul said a hint of him in his letter to the church at Rome, against all hope, Abraham in hope believed. And so became the father of many nations. Without weakening in his faith, he faced the fact that his body was good as dead since he was about 100 years old and that Sarah's womb was also dead. Yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God, being fully persuaded that God had power to do what he had promised. Now, what's remarkable to me about Paul's words about Abraham here is Abraham is not a perfect guy at all. He, was, he, he wandered all over the place. He got all kinds of stuff wrong. Um, his faithfulness was really built around two words. This talk is kind of built around those two words. There are two commands that God gave to Abraham when God launched his great mission, his great project on earth. God came to Abraham out of the blue. This is in Genesis 12 and said to Abraham, congratulations, today is your day. You're off to great places. You're off and away. And Abraham said, where are these places you want me to go? When will I get there? How will I know? I'm getting too old to be climbing these hills. If I'm going to have children, I might need some pills. That, that's in the Bible. You have to translate it a little bit loosely, but it's in there. If you really, stay with me now, stay with me. If you really demand that I do what you say, I'd like some more details regarding the way. And God said, no, 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 no. That would take all the fun and mystery and adventure and surprise and excitement out of it. You'll just have to trust me. You will just have to live by faith and be faithful. God's first command is go to the place where I will show you. That's a little vague, isn't it? Go means you're going to have to trust me. You're not going to know everything ahead of time. You're going to have to leave your little comfort zone because my project, which Abraham, by the way, begins with you, involves the entire world. I am concerned, God says, for all humanity. I'm not a little tribal God. So you cannot stay here. You must go there. You cannot stay in. You got to go out. And then God gives one more command, and it too is a single word, bless, bless. 
He says to Abraham, I will bless you so that you will be a blessing to other people. It's not for you to keep in. On a scale you cannot imagine. I, now think, this is just one man. There's no Bible back then. He knows virtually nothing about this God. And somehow he receives this thought, this word, I will bless you and all the nations on earth will be blessed through you. I cannot conceive what would cause that thought to be born in a human mind of a single person. And it's not an isolated expression. The writer of Genesis repeats this like the beat of a drum. And I want to take the time to point that out so that we catch the beauty of it and see what it means for you and me. In Genesis 12, God makes this promise initially. Then in Genesis 18, Abraham will surely become a great nation and all nations on earth will be blessed through him. And then Genesis 22, and through your offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed. And then lest Abraham forget, Genesis 26, and through your offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed. And then Genesis 28, all nations on earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. Now, blessing has become kind of a religious word, kind of a cliche. We say it when somebody sneezes. So I want to take it out of that category for a moment. What does it mean to bless somebody? Well, to be a person means you have a will, and anytime you have an interaction with another person, you will have a kind of posture of, or an orientation toward them. You will be for them. You will be willing good things on their behalf, or you'll be a little judgmental. You'll be a little dis, um, distant uh, or kind of not like them or condemning, and the Bible's word for that is curse. It's old two, two old words from the Bible but they're not just for religious people. We do that all the time, every interaction we ever have with anybody. We bless or we curse, and we feel it from other people. If somebody wants to curse you, they can communicate it. We can't not communicate it. We can curse people just with an eyebrow, can't we? Or a single finger out in the road, and people can tell. Um, I was going to fly here yesterday, and I got up real early. We had to board the plane at 4.30 in the morning, and... Um, the pilot came on and said, apologize for this, but we're having a mechanical problem, so everybody has to get off the plane and wait in the gate. And the mechanic doesn't even get here till 5.30. And we're all thinking, how come we got to get up so early? And they let the mechanic sleep in, and there's like 30 people waiting to talk to the woman that's at the desk, and no one is blessing her. And I'm feeling just a little, you know, cranky in my spirit. Um, and I communicate that in kind of subtle ways, just a little distant, a little short, a little clipped. I'm going to miss my connections. Looking forward to a dinner here. Maybe I'm going to miss that. So I'm not my best self until the plane lands in Oklahoma City and we're deplaning and the flight attendant says to me, you look so familiar. Are you that white-haired preacher? And I said, yeah, I'm Marty Grubbs. And just not my best day. No, I, I did not actually throw Marty under the bus. I, I tried to remember to be a blessing through that whole thing. We really did have the mechanical problems and stuff. But, but we all, see, blessing or cursing is what we do all the time. Every interaction, we all feel it. Every meal, every meeting, even in little emails. There'll be this little sense of somebody's for me. Or, you know, it feels like something's a little off. 
And what's striking now is God doesn't say to Abraham, I'm going to bless you, and through you, your offspring will be blessed. Your children, your family, your people, your tribe, the people who look like you and talk like you and believe like you. He says, through you and your offspring, the nations will be blessed. Who are the nations? Well, that's everybody. Gentiles. The unclean, the pagans, the unbelievers, the uncircumcised, the foreigners, them. Sometimes people read the Bible and they think that the election of Israel, God's choice of Israel, means that Israel was God's favorite. No, 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 no. That's why this phrase gets repeated over and over and over. Everybody's God's favorite. The nations are God's favorite. And Israel was chosen to be blessed in order that they could be a blessing to everybody. And that's you and me. And by the way, in a culture, in a society, in a day, where cursing the other, the religious other, the cultural other, the political other, the sexual other, the you name it other, where cursing the other is taken often as a virtue. What a great time for crossings to be a place of blessing for everybody. What a great time for you and me. We follow the one who said, love, not just your neighbor, love your enemy and bless those who curse you. Bless and do not curse them. The Apostle Paul writes, you're blessed, be a blessing. This is a mission statement for Abraham and Israel and you and me. Go bless. Blessing, see, is what our God does. The first time we see this word is actually way back in the very first chapter of the Bible. It's a beautiful picture. If you love creation, if you're concerned for the planet Earth, God created the great creatures of the sea and every living and moving thing with which the water teems. God blessed them and said, be fruitful and increase in number and fill the water in the seas. I love the picture of God blessing fish for crying out loud. How many fish did God make? Many fish, one fish, two fish, red fish, blue fish. Not one of them is like another. I don't know why. Go ask your mother. He made so many things, I guess, so he could have some things to bless. He just loves to bless. That's God's heart. God blesses recreationally. That's the missio Dei, the mission of God. It's that simple to bless. And then he creates human beings. But now we are special. We are made in his image, which means we can not only be receptacles of blessing, we can be conduits of blessing. He creates human beings, Genesis 128. God blessed them. Now God does this for you and for me right now at our birth. God blessed them, prosper, reproduce, fill earth, take charge. Be responsible for fish in the sea and birds in the air for every living thing that moves on the face of the earth. Love it. Contribute value to it. Create culture. Above all, love people that are made in my image. God blesses human beings and then tells them they are to be a blessing to the earth. Human beings are blessed to be a blessing. Faithfulness is to be faithful to this charge. Whose mission is it? God's. What's the mission? Bless. Where? Wherever you go when congratulations today is your day 
people will say, but I'm not trained, or I don't know how, or I'm not very articulate about my faith. It is as simple as Dr. Seuss. Go and bless. You can bless people at your work, whether you work for a paycheck or not. There was a front page article a while back in the San Francisco Chronicle, where I live, about a metro transit operator named Linda Wilson Allen. She drives a bus, and she loves the people on her bus. Just loves them. That's what the article is about. Front page article in the San Francisco Chronicle. She knows the regulars. She learns their name. She will wait for them if they are late and then make up the time. A woman in her 80s named Elsie had some grocery bags. Linda got out of the driver's seat to carry Elsie's groceries uh, on the bus for her. Now, Elsie lets other buses pass her stop because she will only ride on a bus driven by Linda. Linda saw a woman named Tanya at a bus shelter about this time of year. She could tell Tanya was a stranger, was lost. It was almost Thanksgiving. So Linda, the bus driver, said, you here by yourself? Come on over for Thanksgiving and kick it with me and the kids and other friends. The reporter who wrote this article rides on her bus every day. He said she has built such a little community on that bus that passengers offer her the use of their vacation homes. They bring her potted plants and floral bouquets. When people found she likes to wear scarves to accessorize her uniforms, they started giving them to her as presents. One passenger upgraded her gift to a rabbit fur collar. The article says she must be the most beloved bus driver since Ralph Cramden on the Honeymooners. Anybody remember Ralph Cramden? You think about what a thankless task driving a bus can be. Who could be grateful for that? Cranky passengers, broken down engines, traffic jams, gum under the seats. How does she have this attitude? Again, front page of the San Francisco Chronicle. Her mood is always set at 2.30 a.m. when she gets down on her knees to pray for 30 minutes. There is always a lot to talk about with the Lord, said Wilson Allen, a member of Glad Tidings Church in Hayward, California. When she gets to the end of her, she drives a bus, gets to the end of the line, she'll always say, that's all. I love you. Take care. I was so inspired when I read that article, I got a hold of Linda and invited her to come to the church where I served to talk about what she did. And this is a church full of people in Silicon Valley doing high tech, high finance, entrepreneur, starter, venture capital. They got so inspired about what work can be by a woman who drives a bus. She said, God just wants to love everybody on my bus through me. Amen. amen. And nobody there said amen because it's a Presbyterian church and nobody says anything. Even Jesus wouldn't say anything at a Presbyterian church. So she said, I got to teach you how to be an amen church. When she was done, no kidding, people stuck around for literally an hour after the last service just to shake her hand and ask if she would pray a blessing over them. You know, we make it so complicated, but it's not. People wonder, where can I find the kingdom of God? I will tell you, you can find it on the number 141 bus driving through San Francisco. Oh, the places you'll go. According to God, if you have been blessed, then you are called to be a blessing. Faithfulness just means being faithful to use the blessing I've received to bless other people. It's just real simple. But a strange thing 
the more somebody has been blessed, the more likely we are not to notice because we just take it for granted. And then we start to feel that we are entitled and we are no longer grateful. There's an old song. None of you here will be old enough to remember it, but I kind of grew up with it. Count your blessings. When upon life's billows, you are tempest tossed. When you are discouraged, thinking all is lost, count your many blessings. Name them one by one. It'll surprise you what the Lord has done. So I want to do that for just a moment. We're going to take a little blessings inventory, just for all of us to be real clear. Have I been blessed? You might want to take out a piece of paper and a pen and just write something down, or you can do this mentally in your mind. But I want to go through a few different categories. Finances. Have you been blessed financially by God? Andy Stanley says one of the problems most rich people have is they do not know they're rich and that most of their problems are rich people problems that a majority of the earth would love to have bad cell phone coverage. That's a rich people problem. Can't decide where to go for vacation. That's a rich people problem. Computer is slow. That's a rich people problem. Car trouble, flight delay. If God has blessed you at all financially, just write down the word yes. How about education? God bless you at all educationally. You know, for most of human history, most of the people who have ever lived were illiterate. They could not open up a book like we can open up the Bible and learn these amazing thoughts from these wonderful words. Has God blessed you at all educationally? Having a home, place to live? Friends, transportation, got a car or a bike or money to drive a bus, forgiveness of sin, friendship with the Holy Spirit, church to get to be. Anybody here been blessed at all? I'll tell you a secret. We have people who are watching us online, some of you who have been incarcerated. I'll bet you most people inside the walls are better at counting their blessing than most people outside the walls. If you have been blessed, it is so that you can be a blessing. How do we forget this? Why? Well, I want to track just a couple of myths that could be barriers to being faithful to our blessing because we just get stopped by the dumbest thoughts. Um, one myth is this. Sometimes God calls people to go and bless like he does Abraham, begin this adventure, take this risk. But people don't do it because they get afraid. And, and the myth is, if God does call me to go do something, it will not make me anxious. It'll be, it'll be real easy for me to do. People actually say that sometimes in a church. I'm not going to do that because I don't have peace about it. Question, when in the Bible did God ever call someone to do an easy job? When did God ever come up to somebody and say, I'm going to ask you to do something, but it will not inconvenience you much. Moses, go confront Pharaoh. Tell him to let his labor force go. David, go fight the giant Goliath. Esther, go stand against the genocidal maniac named Haman. Daniel, go pray in the lion's den. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, be thrown now into a fiery furnace and have them say, I feel peace about that. God never says go because this will be easy. He says go and I will be with you. Noah, go build an ark. Face ridicule, weather the storm, 
repopulate the earth. And my promise is, I will be with you, and I will give you a sign of my promise, the rainbow. And Noah said, I will go. God said to Abraham, go, leave your family, your home, your culture, your language, everything familiar to you. Go to a place I will show you. My promise is, I will be with you, and I will give you a sign of this promise. Circumcision. Abraham said, Noah got the rainbow. Couldn't it be like a secret handshake or Dakota ring or something? See, peace does not come on the other side of hard circumstances. Peace comes when I learn to be faithful to God on this side of my circumstances. Another myth about doing God's will, being faithful to God's call, go and bless is if God's calling me to do something, that calling will always be real clear, will always be unambiguous. I'll never be confused. I'll never have to think hard about it. I'll always just know. Now, this is a very remarkable part of Abraham's story. I grew up in the church, grew up with this story, never thought about this until the last couple of years reading a book by a woman named Eleanor Stump called Wandering in Darkness. And she deals with this story at some length. She writes about how God calls Abraham, then known as Abram, to become a patriarch. She's in the ancient world to be the patriarch, the head of a great tribe, a great clan, a great nation, would be the summit of ambition, kind of like being CEO of Apple or something in our day. And it was Abraham's heart's desire. God says he's to leave his family and his home and go to the place that God will show, leave his household. Abraham obeys mostly, mostly, but he brings his nephew Lot, who was part of that household that he was apparently supposed to leave. And Eleanor writes, apparently Abraham, realizing he's an old man, thinks to himself, just in case God can't pull this off, he can't have kids, he's going to bring Lot along. So Lot is kind of plan B for his heart's desire. And then God makes it quite clear, Lot's not in the plan, they separate. The next time Abraham talks with God, he tells God that he has made his servant Eliezer his heir. Now, why would you make your servant to whom you're not related your heir? Well, because you don't think you're going to have a child that could become your heir. That's why you would name somebody else. So Eleazar is kind of like plan C. And God tells him, no, it's not going to be Eleazar. It will be your own flesh and blood. Okay, so it's not Eleazar. But still nothing happens. So then Abraham, some of you know this story, does have a son named Ishmael, but he has it with his wife's servant, Hagar. Sarah says, why don't you sleep with my servant? And Abraham rather passively says, well, okay, sounds like a good idea. So he does, has a child by her. That does not work out really well. Ishmael is plan D. And finally, after 24 years beyond that first conversation, God says, no, Abraham, you will have a son with your wife, Sarah. And he does, and little Isaac is born. Now, here's what I'd never noticed before that's quite amazing. Uh, Isaac grows up, Sarah dies, Isaac gets married to Rebecca, but Isaac and Rebecca are married for 20 years without having any kids. So it's still not clear to Abraham that this promise to be a great patriarch is going to come true. So this is in Genesis 25. Abraham takes another wife named Keturah, and they have six more sons. Plans E, F, G, H, I, K. He is, this is amazing. He's still not sure God's going to come through. 
Finally, Isaac and Rebekah have Jacob and Esau, and then Abraham makes sure that the heir of the inheritance passes down in that direction and dismisses the other sons to go to another place. Here's the question. Why was God so ambiguous at the beginning? Why didn't he just tell Abraham right off, it's going to take 25 years, so be patient. It'll be your offspring, not somebody else's. Uh, It will be through Sarah, not Hagar or somebody else. It'll be the mom. Why was God so ambiguous at first? Go to the land that I'll show you. And she writes, it's because God knew Abraham would grow more if he had to struggle and puzzle and make mistakes and realize that God is patient with him when he messes up and God still loves him and seek to be faithful one day at a time, one year at a time. Abraham will grow a lot more through that messy process than if Abraham just got all the information ahead of time. And we kind of know about this. If you're a parent, if you could always just tell your kid what to do, Wear these clothes, go to that school, take this major, live in that city, choose this job, marry that person, and they always just did what you told them to do. Would that be a good thing? You're kind of scaring me, so let me ask you one more time. (laughs) If you just always told your kid what to do and they always did it, would that be a good thing? The correct answer is no. (laughs) Because we don't want our kids to be rule-following robots. We want them to be persons to develop character and judgment. And that requires things like puzzling out, having to make decisions in the midst of ambiguity, and sometimes getting it wrong, and developing patience, and learning about grace and love. In other words, decision-making is an indispensable tool in character formation. And sometimes when I'm facing a hard choice and I say, God, just tell me what to do. Sometimes I don't want the will of God for my life as much as I just want to avoid the anxiety that goes with having to make a difficult decision. Can I get an amen from anybody on that one? If you're wondering how much faith does it take to be faithful? The answer is not very much. Just look at Abraham. He gets so much stuff wrong. Making contingency plans for God when there's powerful, wealthy men around him that he thinks they might desire Sarah, he lies and claims she's his sister rather than his wife, throws her under the bus. He's just, he's a mess. He just has enough faith to keep going. He just has enough faith to keep praying. Just has enough faith to keep saying, yep, I'll go bless. So it was leads to one other myth I want to mention. Um, a, a life of faithfulness to God, this is a myth, would mean I would miss out on the freedom of getting to do what I want to do. Living to do what I want to do turns out to be rather a miserable way to live. And we see that in our day because there's no meaning behind it. Nothing transcendent. Nobody ever got to the end of their life and was thrilled that they had said no to God. Maybe the patron saint of saying no to God's go in the Bible was a prophet named Jonah. Anybody remember the story of Jonah? God comes to Jonah one day. Would you, could you go to preach? Would you, could you go to reach the people of Assyria? For you fit my criteria. (laughs) And Jonah says, I would not go there in a boat. I would not go there in a goat. I would not go there in a gale. I would not go there in a whale. I do not like the people there. If they all died, I would not care. I will not go by land or sea. So stop this talk and let me be. That's the first chapter of the book of Jonah. Abraham Maslow, psychologist, actually wrote about what he called the Jonah syndrome. 
the Jonas syndrome, the strange tendency we have to evade our destiny, to say no to our calling, to deny the usefulness of the blessings that we have received to the lives of others around us, to miss out on God's assignment of life. So where today is God calling you to be faithful? Where is God saying, go and bless? Because God wants every human being to be blessed. God wants you to see in all the nations what he did. Every human being bears the image of God. There's something sacramental. You know, a sacrament is something that's quite ordinary that can house the extraordinary, the divine. In the Catholic Church, they would teach that in communion, in the Mass, uh, a miracle happens and the bread turns into the actual body and the wine turns into the actual blood of Jesus. In the Reformed tradition, uh, they teach that the bread stays bread and the wine stays wine, but somehow Jesus comes shining through. In the Baptist tradition where I grew up, they would teach that the bread remains bread, but the wine miraculously turns to grape juice. <laughs> and then they would serve it in these cheap little plastic cups that instead of a beautiful chalice, you know, and, and, and the reality is every human being is a chalice of great beauty who is able to bear the image of the divine. Amen. So you go blessed. Maybe it's your work. Maybe you've been punching the clock, doing the quiet quitting thing that's talked about a lot in our day, working half-heartedly, and God is saying, go and bless your boss, your coworkers, your customers, your clients, staff, even the most difficult, just go bless them. Maybe it's in your marriage, and you've been playing around the edges of unfaithfulness, and God is calling you today, no, 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 no. I'm asking you to be faithful, not just with your body, but also your mind and your heart, to bless the one to whom you made a promise, to bless those little children. Maybe it's with your finances. It gets so easy, especially when the economy takes a downturn, and there's so much uncertainty, and we all get scared instead of remembering that we live in the hand of God, and think we got to find our security by more and more and more and more. God is just go bless somebody. Maybe with your time. Maybe it's a ministry involvement right here at Crossing. Such a great place to bless the body of Jesus and then his world. Maybe before you leave the campus today, you will see some person who looks a little sad or a little lonely or just open, and God will whisper to you today go bless, go bless, go bless. And if you find yourself a little timid, a little frightened. I want you to remember that what God said to Abraham would come back around kind of the final words of Jesus when he gathered his friends. All authority is given to me in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go. Go. Make disciples of all peoples. That's the ultimate blessing. Baptizing them. We saw this in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. This is still happening right here. Teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the ends of the earth. Wherever you go, to the place that I will show you, I will be there. I had a friend named Ann, and she had a flying phobia. She was just terrified of flying, been through therapy and systematic desensitization. She was also a follower of Jesus. We were talking about this one time, and I said, you know, in, in addition to doing everything else, just remember what Jesus said. I am with you always. And she said, no, no, no. Jesus said, lo, I am with you always. 
low or high, up or down, confident or doubtful, rich or poor, it does not matter. All authority has been given to me. Go, bless, spread the word, fight the fight, run the race, feed the poor, visit the prisoner, heal the sick, encourage the weary, cross the divide, melt the hate. You will stand before kings. You will be thrown into jail. You will be beaten and rejoice that you were counted worthy to suffer for the name. You will be part of God's project to redeem the world. And one day I will come back and I will set everything right. But in between that day and this day, all oh, the places you'll go. That's the message. So That's all I have to say, and I should have checked. I just completely forgotten. Is there something else happening, Marty, or are we all done? Okay, we're all done. Go and bless. Thanks, you guys.